Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and a trainer at the Center for Understanding in Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Jenny Rock. Jenny is a co-parenting without conflict expert specializing in helping divorced parents exit toxic relationships and redefine their communication patterns to prioritize the needs of their children. Jenny brings a wealth of knowledge and expertise to the table, helping parents navigate the often challenging terrain of the co-parenting after a divorce. Whether your divorced parents struggling to find common ground with your ex-spouse or a professional looking to expand your knowledge of co-parenting, Jenny is an invaluable resource. Jenny, thank you so much and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Catherine. So how did you become an expert in parenting conflict resolution? You know, I am a divorced mother. I've been remarried for 24 years. So it's been, you know, it's been a minute since it's happened. But I found that it was really, really challenging in the beginning to co-parent with my, with my ex-husband. And because it seemed like every conflict between us had such a much bigger meaning somehow that one or the other of us would infuse into a dis- disagreement or somebody being late or not paying something on time. And and it just became sort of so easy just to get into really, really difficult conversations. So how did you get into it? And let's start there. Okay. So I got into it because I went through a horrifically bad divorce. It wasn't a great marriage. It was full of domestic abuse. The final kind of pin that imploded was when I was assaulted whilst I was holding the hand of my three-year-old little boy. And that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back was I am not having my son grow up thinking that it's okay to treat other people like this, man, woman, or anybody. And then it sort of evolved into, I tried to phone the police. He cut off the line. Police turned up. He wouldn't let them in. He took the three-year-old hostage in the back garden and used him as a human shield. A cue the police closing off the road. We had armed police on standby. It was horrific. (laughs) I can laugh about it now, but at the time, I literally, I went to work the next day as if nothing had happened because I couldn't talk about it because I thought if I started crying, I wouldn't stop because it was just so, it it had all just exploded and he completely fell off the deep end. Alcoholic, just turned yellow with the alcohol abuse, wasn't showing up on time, wasn't showing up at all for visitation when he was supposed to be having it. And it just was just really, really bad, you know, in, in all the worst ways you can possibly imagine. And I think we all make the assumption that when we get divorced, it's going to get better. But when we get divorced, that's probably when we're at the point where our communication is probably the worst it's ever been. Like right around the divorce, you mean? Like yeah, the, around right, that right, point. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, around that point when the marriage ends, when you kind of both decide, right, that's it, I can't take any more. The communication style tends to stick 
And even though you're getting divorced, any time that those two people interact together tends to always circle back to how you felt when the marriage ended. (laughs) That's how the communication style kind of gets stuck. And lots of different things happened. I had I had a need to basically redefine my life and change exactly what I was doing because I needed to be home for my son who wasn't well and I needed to work from home and I needed to create a new life, a new living, a new way of doing things. And I kind of looked at everything available and I thought, well, I would really love to be the person that I had needed when I was going through that because there wasn't anybody. I couldn't talk to anybody. I don't, I couldn't I couldn't talk to my family. They'd been driven away. I couldn't talk to my friends. I didn't have any because they'd been driven away. I didn't have anybody to talk to. I couldn't talk to my friends at work because I was the boss, you know? Mm. <laughs> so so I couldn't do that. So I literally just couldn't talk to anybody. So I thought I would love to be somebody that could actually help that person that was me at the time to help people really kind of get unstuck from that communication style, redefine their life, come up with a new way of communicating that doesn't just automatically inflame all of those emotions again, because we leave a marriage thinking, we'll get divorced, it'll get better. But in fact, all the gloves tend to come off and it's kind of like, you know, right, everybody's out to win now because <laughs> there's something- Well, they're really- not trying to make it work. I'm not trying to make it work anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you've got some big stakes. You've got the children, you've got money, you've got property. And it's kind of the gloves are off and everything goes really bad very quickly. So the majority of the people that that I work with tend to be what I call the deep down and dirty cases where it's just gone so horrifically badly wrong that they are just at their wits end. They don't know what else to do. They are an absolute mess. So let's just break it down a little bit, Jenny, if that's okay with you, because I think what you're talking about in terms of a conflict dynamic that doesn't work is what I call the conflict trap, that people get into a habituated conflict dynamic that doesn't work. I mean, obviously, these are my clients, they're getting divorced, they're your clients, they are divorced, or they're getting divorced, right? So Mm -hmm. people and and so even in a relationship that does work, like with my with my current husband, that I know that there are a number of conversations where he says something. I say something, he says something, and then I know the thing that I really, really want to say, it's on the tip of my tongue, and I am so freaking right. You have no idea how right I am. <laughs> Everybody would agree that I was right. I know that if I say that, I could literally script out the next 20 or 30 minutes, and then knowing at the end, we're both going to walk away from that conversation frustrated and unhappy. So in that moment of saying, knowing in my head, what is right to say the right thing that everybody would agree was right, except my husband, of course, then, you know, but also knowing the result of saying that, that gives me a choice to say something different. And maybe I don't know what the result of that saying the new different thing will be, but at least it's different, right? At least, right? It's not the same, like I can predict exactly what that's going to say, but it takes so much. This is the work I do and the work you do. It's still so hard to make that change, even when you know you have to, even when you know it's the right (laughs) thing to do, right? How do you help people do that and to interrupt that conflict dynamic that you talked about? It's a process because obviously they've taken, you know, sort of like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of communicating one way. And I'm asking them to stop and to communicate in a slightly different way. 
And one of the, the key drivers is, is it more important to be right or is it more important to get the right result? Yeah. Because pride and ego play a big part in this. And if it's more important to be right, so you being right is more important than the needs of the children or the needs of the, you know, of the people that depend on you. Okay. So it's about making people kind of question, if you like, the motives of what they're going to say by just taking that pause and by almost agreeing to disagree because you may be right. You may be right. You may not be right, but you may be right. And just even saying that simple phrase of you may be right is enough to diffuse an awful lot of tension because you don't have to be right all of the time. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. So what are some signs of, for, the, for our listeners, you know, everybody, I just described, you know, a, a dynamic that happens in my own second marriage, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's been, I think is pretty good <laughs> having experienced the opposite, you know, so everybody has conflict in their relationship mm-hmm. and everybody might even have some big fights in their relationship. Yeah. And, you know, stuff happens that is stuff that people really disagree about. But how do you define what's a toxic relationship just a, versus a difficult moment? Okay. I think for me, it's a toxic relationship when the bad outweighs the good in the relationship in terms of the bad days. Do you have more bad days than good days? Do you have more bad moments than good moments? Has it got to the point where both of you are just trying to punish and suffer, you know, punish each other for their supposed wrongdoings? You know, we talk about red flags. We talk about, you know, sort of abuse, what's abuse, what's not abuse, what's normal, what's not normal. And for me, the question is, is this relationship working for you? If this relationship is working for you, great, fantastic. How can we make that better? If this relationship isn't working for you, okay, so what can we do? Is is there anything we can do to make it work for you? If there's nothing we can do to make it work for you, how can we make it work for both of you to go separate ways? Because everybody normally comes at the situation thinking that they're right. They both think they're right. <laughs> so, I know. So, yeah, yeah. Both parties believe that they're the injured one. Both parties believe that they're the ones that are not to blame. You know, well, I had an affair, but she made me do it, you know. She withheld her affection. Well, you know, I I had an affair because he was always at work and he was never home. Everybody thinks that it's far easier to apportion blame to the other person than it is to actually look at yourself and think, what can I do to make this work or not work? And I think that's, we've become such a, a society of people blaming everybody else and not taking their own responsibility for what they should and shouldn't be doing is that it's kind of become a little bit warped because the world we live in today is very different to the world we lived in 50 years ago or 100 years ago when marriage was for life, when, you know, life expectancy was, you know, maybe mid-50s. Well, life is a lot different now. So we need to decide, you know, sort of what our priorities are, what is working, what isn't working. Do we want to try and make things work? Or do we just say, do you know what? Let's just draw a line under this and, and make our own way forward from now on. But I think people get so trapped into that 
it's their fault. I deserve everything, you know. I deserve sure. everything because they had the affair. Well, it doesn't quite work like that. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't get the settlement I deserved because the lawyer didn't do what they were supposed to do. Well, hang on a minute. You know, this isn't about the lawyer. The lawyer's just doing the job. They're just applying the law. The bottom line is, if there are children involved, which is particularly the cases that I get involved in, is I'm kind of stood there going, well, what about the children? You know? Right. Well, let's talk about that in a minute. But before we do that, I want to remind people that I'm Catherine Miller and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues, a podcast dedicated to educating people about divorce related topics so everyone can divorce with dignity. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts to be sure you do not miss an episode. And today I'm talking with Jenny Rock about co-parenting without conflict. And I do want to talk, Jenny, about some common conflicts that parents have with each other when when they're divorcing and after they're divorcing. What are some of the common things that people argue about? One of the the things that people argue about is who has to do the the main donkey work of caring for the children, because the children seem to be a bartering tool. It's not about what's best for the children. It's about I I need to look after them because then I'll get all the the money for looking after them. And I don't want you to have any money for looking after them. So I'm going to keep them all the time. And so the children, in terms of where they're living, who's taking care of their schooling and their behavior and their pocket money and their school trips and their pack lunches and all of that seems to be something that everybody fights over, you know, and quite often the children are old enough to actually have a, a an input. Sure. into this discussion. And quite often, I think I am finding at the moment is that people are using the law as a weapon in terms of, well, they said that to me and they're abusive, or they did this and they're abusive. And if you look hard enough at anything and anybody, you could term it as abusive. You know, I know my sister was very annoyed with me. We we went shopping the other week and I said, oh, I'm going to pick up some water bottles. And I picked up some some water bottles just like this. And she said, well, what about Roy? What about him wanting to use a water bottle? Because they're both kind of like girly colors. And I went, well, if he wants to drink water out of a bottle, there will be two water bottles. If he wants a different color water bottle, he has two legs and he's more than capable of going and buying his own. And she thought I was very harsh. But I worked to the theory that he's a grown adult. If he wishes to have something different other than what I have provided, he's more than capable of going and getting it. And I think we forget that everybody has free will. Everybody has free choice. We live in a very emancipated society in terms of all of our abilities, but not everything that people do is abusive. You know, it's not abusive to have an opinion that differs to somebody else's. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think that Jenny, you're talking about sort of a sort of complaint du jour, like, you, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm married to a narcissist or, yeah. you know, this is an abusive relationship or this is a toxic relationship or, you know, things like that. There are sort of like catch words and catch phrases mm. that aren't necessarily meaningful in a sort of societally agreed upon way. And, yeah. and, and I also think just to go back to what you're saying a little earlier is that in parenting, regardless of divorce is both a blessing and an obligation. Right. And it's an opportunity and an obligation. 
And there's also parent-focused parenting and there's child-focused parenting. And this really comes up a lot in divorce, I think. So I'm a 50-50 parent. I'm just as much a parent as you. You know, me, 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 me. Like about what it is to be a parent and, and each person's definition of themselves as a parent, which is very little to do actually with the children. And like, what are their needs? And, and how do, how are we going to show up and, and, and raise these children or this child in, together so that this child survives, thrives, and launches into a successful life, regardless of our divorce or not divorce, regardless of the conflict between us or the disagreements between us, and that we're able to do that. And I think that it, the conflict between the parents, and I'm wondering what you think about this, sometimes becomes so great during the divorce itself, particularly around the divorce, as you mentioned earlier, that they lose sight of it. It's just like they put this like paper bag of divorce over their heads and they yeah. lose sight of the kids for the kids sake and who those children really are and the love that they have for them and wanting to do what serves the children rather than serves them themselves. So what do you agree with me? Disagree? I, or no, what do you I say to people? I completely agree. And one of the things that I say is that the way that you are showing up for your divorce is how your children are looking at how they will potentially divorce in the future. So they are seeing what you do as a behavior because children learn by imitation. They see how you get divorced. If they have to get divorced further down the line when they're grown-ups, they will model how they have seen you get divorced. And is that a future that you wish to have for them? Yeah. Um, is one of the big conversations that I have because, you know, what they're showing is this behavior that is completely just very selfish in its origin of, you know, it's all about me. It's not about the kids. It's not about the other person. It's all about what I want, what I deserve, what I feel I'm owed. And they're not showing the kids that they are wanted, loved, and treasured. They're not showing the children that they're important in their lives at all, that they're just, you know, they're showing them that they're a bartering tool. They're showing them that they are basically yeah. a, a checkbook. And that's not fair on the kids. And I was so it, many screwed up kids. That that when they divorce this way, they're not just teaching their children how to divorce in the future should that happen, but they're teaching their children how to parent their own children. Which yes. you know, rather it, regardless of whether or not they divorce or not, that you know, that this really all about mommy and daddy or mommy and mommy or daddy and daddy, whatever the mm -hmm. family configuration is and and that it's not child focused on the other hand it shouldn't be dictated by the children right children <laughs> shouldn't be able to dictate their lives because well that's a disaster also <laughs> <laughs> it is a fine balance it is a fine balance but i think that when you look at the relationships where children are treated as children treated as human beings and not just treated as chattel and items to be tossed around in monetary terms and in terms of fairness or supposed fairness. The children that thrive are the ones that are actually considered and that are put their best interests are put first. So from my experience, and even when quite often I work with parents who have been alienated from their children, and my advice to them is always you have to be the strength that your children need because they don't have a voice they need you to fight not just for yourself but for them too so giving up is never an option you have to rebuild your self-confidence rebuild your self-esteem you have to get strong you know because you're going to have to fight for them 
as as much as for yourself. And no matter whether you don't see them for two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, you have to find a way to, to be strong for them so that when they do come back into your life, you are the father that, or the mother that they need. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues, a podcast dedicated to educating people about divorce-related topics so everyone can divorce with dignity. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts to be sure you don't miss an episode. And today I'm talking with Jenny Rock about co-parenting without conflict. And Jenny, if people want to learn more about you or what you do, how can they, how can they do that? Sure. I have a website, which is www.coparentingwithoutconflict.com or one word, or you can just email me, jennyrock1 at outlook.com. That's great. What advice would you give to someone who is experiencing communication issues with a co-parent? How can they start to change that dynamic? I think the first thing to do is to kind of put a pause in any kind of communication and interaction. So when they get a text or an email or a message, instead of just firing off a reply based on whatever emotion they are feeling the minute they open up that message, step away. Step away from the computer for half an hour. Step away from the phone for half an hour. Just breathe, walk away, do something else, come back to it, let that emotion settle and consider that the emotion that they're experiencing is purely based on the interpretation that they have given to the message that they've received. And that might not be how it was intended. So you know, it can be misinterpreted quite often, but just instead of having that immediate kind of text battle or email battle that that becomes really frantic and it's like, you know, firing off these missiles and it turns into a game of war, just, just step away from the keyboard <laughs> and just take a pause and then come back to it with a more calm and reflective kind of uh, manner. But there is always help available for those that want it. And I think part of the battle is accepting that you need help because so many people think they have to do it by themselves or think they can't do it any other way but by themselves but there is help available so not just with me but for you know that there are many others that can help and there is always help available for those that want it yeah yeah i think that when you come to when it comes to texted or email communication between parents it's always helpful to ask yourself especially if you're feeling reactive, what's the most important thing here, Mm. right? What am I trying to accomplish? I think that's one thing to ask yourself before you hit send, because I completely agree with you. You never want to hit send, whether or not email or text, with an elevated heart rate, (laughs) 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 right? That's one one hint. And, And another thing I think is less is more. You don't need to explain why all this. You just need to, this is the important information to exchange. No commentary on what the other person did or didn't do. If something doesn't work for you, say, you know, that doesn't work for me. How about this? Not like, and it's because of this, that, and the other thing. And you always do this to me. And it was always like this. And you're such a narcissist or, you know, worse. And all of that sort of stuff. And they're just going to ramp it up. So less is more. Keep it simple, right? Mm -hmm. And really think about what is most important in that email exchange. And it took me a long time to come up with those guidelines, which I use for myself. And in my own practice, I rewrite a lot of emails for my clients who are like, let me just explain why, blah, 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 and this and that. I'm like, no, 
you know, my red, my virtual red pencil comes out. Not this, not this, not this. It's not that it's not true. It's just no. that it won't help. What do you think? No, absolutely. And I think that we are trained from tiny to don't say no. You have to do as you're told. You have to be obedient. You have to do this. You have to do that. And we're so kind of wrapped up in that. I have to explain myself. I have to give reasons as to why I can't do this or won't do this or, you know, and, and we, over over egg it, I suppose, in, in our own brains. And we're trying to get all of this kind of word splurge out in an email or a text. And it's not required. Absolutely agree. Less is more. You know, as I said, some of my no is a complete sentence. <laughs> <It's> yeah. <laughs> Work on that theory. No is a complete sentence. You want to to basically give your response in as few words as possible because there's less to argue with when yeah. you send a a shortened response. Exactly. But here's the thing is that, that all that stuff that comes up, all that emotional explanation, all that sort of stuff, it's hard to just stuff that. So for people who are like, well, okay, so no is a complete sentence, but then what do I do with all that feeling? What do you say to those people, Johnny? Journal it. If you want to write it down, get it out of your head, write it down in a journal. If you want to put it on computer, write it down, put it on a computer, put it in a file that you never have to, never ever have to use again just to get it out of your head and just out there, you know, record a video of yourself if you need to just stick it in your sort of like, you know, divorce files of, you know, oh, they said this to me and I'm so mad and kind of talk it through to yourself and just explain yourself. And then when you look back on it, you'll, you know, if you took a, a couple of weeks and look back on it, you go, oh my goodness me, look at how you reacted to that situation. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, it doesn't have to be fired at the other party. You just need to get it out of your head so that yeah. it's not still trapped in there. And whatever way that that works, whether it be videoing yourself, whether it be doing a, a note dictation on your phone, whether it be typing up in an email to yourself, you know, any which way, but at that other person is fine. So Jenny, in our last couple of minutes, if, if someone is in the beginning of their doors process and they, and they are in it already and they want to start doing this right, mm-hmm. not fix doing it wrong. How do you think someone should start to work on or set up a constructive, positive co-parenting relationship? I think the first thing is there is no right or wrong. There's just what works and what doesn't work. So we all make mistakes all of the time we'll make decisions and it doesn't give us the intended output. And I think it's just that, first of all, that acceptance that, okay, this is this is a new thing that we're going into. We're not necessarily going to be perfect at it yet and accepting that they will make mistakes and that's okay. And to try to speak to the other person as they would wish to be spoken to, I think would be a really good way of doing it. You know, if you haven't got anything nice to say, don't say anything. Speak to, to the other person as you would wish to be spoken to. Try to speak with kindness and grace because the only person that's going to benefit from that is all of you, children included. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having that acceptance that we don't do everything right. In fact, we very rarely do everything right. We probably very rarely do anything right. But <laughs> <laughs> we just get either something that that works out for us or something that doesn't work out for us. And if it doesn't work out, then let's look at a different way. Jenny Rock, thank you so much for being my guest on Divorce Dialogues. It's been a pleasure. 
and a pleasure for me to be with you today, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me.